Welcome to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. At Village, we seek to be shaped by the life of Christ, to practice authentic friendship, and serve the world. You're invited to join us at either our Mission Campus or our Antioch Campus. For now, we hope you hear a word for your own life in this sermon. from John chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. You may locate this text in your pew Bible on page 980. First, let us prepare our hearts to hear God's word. Dear God, thank you so much for being with us. When we read your word, we remember that your Holy Spirit is in this room and in our hearts. Help us to understand your scripture and live it out in our lives. Amen. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. There they gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume, but Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, the one who was about to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He kept the common purse and used to steal what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. So this week, we will likely gather around tables with people we care about or people that we are related to. If we're lucky, those might be the same group of people. And as we gather, if we can remember, in the midst of food and football and all the things we must tend to, we might recount the things that we are grateful for. I would encourage you to do that. Gratitude is a powerful thing. And in the collectively hard years that we have had, in the midst of the chaos that continues to plague our world, gratitude has a way of calling us back to center, right? Reminding us and keeping us rooted in what matters. If we are attentive to it, I think gratitude has the power to change us in remarkable ways. Mary, in our story today, knows a little bit about that. In our story, we find Jesus in the city of Bethany, in the home of Lazarus and Mary and Martha. The story really begins a chapter earlier in John 11, when we learn that brother Lazarus has died. Mary and Martha are distraught, upset, waiting with the disciples for Jesus. 
It's a devastating scene, really. Jesus hasn't made it in time. Surely if he had, their beloved brother would not have died. So Jesus finally arrives, and after some conversation and Jesus' own weeping, he brings Lazarus back to life. It's this that is the last straw for some of the Pharisees. Jesus' arrest is set into motion here. Our story for today finds us in the aftermath of that resurrection at a table for dinner. After dinner has been served, Mary moves from the table, and she has a pound of perfume. It would be something like a thick oil or an ointment. And she takes this fragrant oil, kneels down to the ground, and begins to anoint Jesus' feet with her hair. And we don't know who all is at this party. We might assume all the disciples are still there, but it's Judas who speaks. He scoffs as he asks Mary, why would you not sell this perfume? Give the money to the poor. Jesus responds, leave her alone. He explains that she has anointed him for his burial. The end is near, she knows. She has enacted the custom that Jesus would need only days from now. In the other Gospels, when they all tell this same scene, Jesus almost literally says, she has done the good that is hers to do. We typically focus with this story on all that will come next. We focus on Mary's faith and how she seems to know that Jesus' death is coming while the other disciples are in the dark. But I think that there is more than that happening here. Yes, an anointing for burial is a good and right thing for Mary to do, but the scene unfolds not just with perfume, but the costly kind, an entire pound of it, too much for a single anointing. The whole house is filled with fragrance and her hair A woman's hair would have been expected to be covered in this time and place, especially in the company of unrelated men, especially in the company of someone regarded as their teacher. But Mary's hair is everywhere, uncovered, her head bowed to the floor, wrapped around Jesus' feet, sticky with perfume. The whole scene is a mess, really. It's excessive and abundant and reckless. From Judas's reaction, it's a bit too much. Yeah, Mary knows what is coming. She does what is good for her to do. But I think it's more than that. This is a scene of someone overcome with gratitude. Her awareness of all that she has been given, both in the life restored to her brother and the life given to her by this man, this guy who performs miracles and preaches love and teaches a new way to be. Her gratitude, the oil, her hair, it all overflows in this excessive offering of gratitude. I think that's what gratitude does. I am grateful in this, that I learned what gratitude does from one of the best. My mom was a woman who exuded gratitude in everything she did. 
She learned some lessons early in life that taught her to take nothing for granted, and so she didn't. The first time she had breast cancer was in 2009. I was in my first year of seminary at the time, and I left the year early to come home. There were surgeries and chemo and radiation, all the routine we unfortunately know too well. And all of it was brutal, but my mom was not one to complain. I don't say that as if that is a virtue. I think complaining is often necessary, even helpful. I'm quite fond of it myself. But her particular posture of gratitude didn't leave her much to complain about. Even at her worst, she couldn't help but to count all that was good. Her friends would check in on her and be surprised, even frustrated by her lack of complaints. And so one of her friends knew how big of a deal it was when my mom finally complained to her. Health insurance has changed some since 2009. Not enough, unfortunately. But my mom's was not paying for much of her required treatment. And when she finally broke down, that's what it was about. The pressure of mounting medical bills was too much. And hearing this, her friend got to work. There's this thing that happens in small Midwestern towns, like the one that I grew up in. Sometimes when someone in the community has a need that they can't meet on their own, the whole town will come together and have a fundraiser. I think personally it's just an excuse to have a party, but it is helpful. And that's what they did. I'll tell you, it was a bit uncomfortable to be the recipient of others' generosity requires a particular kind of humility that doesn't always come naturally to us raised in this culture of making it on our own. My mom first said no, she couldn't ask for such a thing, but it was already planned. They expected her no, now she just had to show up. Most of the event is a blur to me now, but what I do remember is how my mom was afterwards. Days, weeks later, she was still repeating, my cup overflows, my cup overflows. In the years that followed, she learned what happens when a town so publicly shows up to help you through something like this. She became an unintentional spokesperson for breast cancer. My mom would receive calls from people she didn't know as they received their own diagnosis and were begging to talk to someone who understood. She'd be asked for advice from anything from diet changes to wig styling, and because my mom was a ridiculously kind person, she managed this with grace. But she and I, we talked every day, and I knew she hated this. She did not feel equipped to help anyone. She was still reeling from her own experience. The emotional recovery from cancer is often longer and harder than the physical one. Being both her daughter and a pastor who believes in good mental health care, I would advise her that she did not have to do it. I assured her that people would understand she was still recovering too. Boundaries, Mom, boundaries I would preach. It was seven years later that she was diagnosed again. 
And the prognosis was different this time. And she died later that year, in December of 2016. We celebrated her life right after Christmas that year. And once again, the entire town showed up packing our tiny home church. But what I remember most of that day and the days that followed were all the people I didn't know, some I had never seen before, who all came to tell us what my mom had done for them. She sat with me during chemo so I wouldn't have to go by myself. She called me before every surgery, encouraged me. She gave me a reason to laugh, telling me what she thought of cancer, words that can't be said in a pulpit. And then, then there were the trinkets. My mom was a very tactile person. We made fun of her for always having something in her pocket, a little cross or a worry stone or a random stick that one of us gave her when we were three that she held on to. And apparently as she visited and cared for these people, she shared these trinkets. And so here were these people I had never met before, extending their hands with the tiny gifts she had given them, each one held as if something sacred, evidence of her gratitude poured out. I didn't know until then that my mother did not take my advice. She felt unequipped for each of these encounters, and she did it anyway. She went, she called, she gave and gave and gave because her cup overflowed. And that's what gratitude does. When I read the story of Mary, that's what I see. It's tactile and tangible and messy and real. She is overwhelmed with, Jesus, with what Jesus has done for her. She pours out all of herself in response. And it's too much. It's more than what is required. But that's what gratitude does. And now these 2,000 years later, evidence of Mary's gratitude is still rippling through our world. Don't have the time in this sermon to tell you all of this, but I can't leave this story without telling you a little bit of it. So new research about this text, the story that Caitlin so well read today, was first published in 2016. It's been circulating more widely lately because of a sermon preached this past summer by Diana Butler Bass. Bass is a historian and author who writes about the history and the future of Christianity. And in this sermon, she welcomed us into a conversation that is rattling biblical scholarship. These stories from John 11 and John 12, they're read as if there are two women present here, Mary and Martha. The sisters we think about when we hear those names are not from here in John, they're from the Gospel of Luke. Martha's presence in this story has always been a little odd. Well, it turns out that Martha isn't actually here. Looking at the oldest papyrus we have from these two chapters of John, there are a bunch of marks made by an editor. We've known that. These marks have been documented before. But it, it seems that no one noticed until now that all of these marks follow a particular pattern. Every time we read Martha's name, 
The text actually says Mary, with an editor's change to a single letter that makes it read like Martha. Other edits change pronouns and make other words plural so that when translated, this reads as if we're talking about two sisters. The edits specifically serve to add Martha to this story. So why would anyone do that, and why does this matter? Well, adding Martha to this story in John, it waters down the character of Mary Magdalene. There are are some important words said in these chapters that come from Martha, and if Mary is restored as the only sister here, her role rivals the power of Peter. People have hypothesized about this for centuries, but this is the first time we've had the textual evidence that it happened. How did we come to know this? This is the best part. So there's this young woman named Elizabeth living in New York City. She's a young adult. She goes by the name Libby. She's a singer and a songwriter. And one day she's walking around the city, as you do, and she stops into this little church garden that she sees to rest and to pray. And it's there that she hears this voice. Everything indicates that she's a fairly typical young adult at this point. She's a person of faith. She's Episcopalian. But hearing voices is brand new for her here. And the voice says something like, ask Mary Magdalene. It's very weird. So she does what she knows to do. Libby is a songwriter, and so she writes a song. It's called Magdalene. You can find it online. But afterwards, as time carries on, she can't shake the feeling that there is something more being asked of her. And so finally, she walks into a seminary there in New York, and she tells them she wants to study Mary Magdalene. They tell her if she wanted to, she could come and get a master's in New Testament studies, and that's what she does. She learns the ancient languages, the whole thing. For her master's thesis, she wants to study John 11 and 12, and when she looks at this piece of papyrus, she knows something is off. She is the one who notices all these editing marks are meant to add Martha to the story. And so this young singer-songwriter in New York City went from opening for Jewel to discovering something biblical scholars have missed for 2,000 years. Libby is a doctoral student now at Duke. Her research is published in the Harvard Review, and the Nestle Allen Translation Committee is debating how her discovery will impact future translations of the Bible. This is the most radical change to happen to the written gospel ever, and we are living it in real time. Mary pours out the perfume, all of it, too much of it. The entire house smells of fragrance. There is so much excess, she leans down, hair everywhere, giving all of herself and overflowing with gratitude. All these years later, her witness continues to expand, continues to overflow into unexpecting people who cannot help but share it. That's what gratitude does. And so wherever you are this week, I hope that you make some time to consider all that you are grateful for. But I hope that you remember that gratitude doesn't live 
as a list, to practice gratitude, to pursue a life that reflects our awareness of who God is and what God has done. It has the power to change us. It has the power to change everything. To live this way, you will feel ill-equipped. Voices around you might scoff. You may need to keep a trinket in your pocket so that you can remember. Because gratitude will take the good that is ours to do and multiply it, expand it, expand us more than we can imagine. That's what gratitude does. Let us pray. God of abundance, your love overflows. Make us to notice, and in our noticing to be grateful, and in our gratitude to live more like Mary, giving all of ourselves in response. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. Learn more about us at villagepres.org. And we invite you to join us again next week.